We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Amen. Well, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. Uh, I know the passage we're studying today is uh, many, of, many of your favorites. Uh, it is probably someone's life verse, you know. Uh, we're looking at the genealogy of Christ today, according to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, so I know uh, many of you are thrilled about that. Uh, but I hope after, I say that sarcastically, I hope you can tell that. But I, I hope after we've looked at this together, I hope that you can see some of the reasons that God has placed it here for us. You know, Scripture testifies about itself that it is all breathed out by God and profitable for us. It's, it's useful for us. It's, it's meant to build us up in our faith and point us to this one we're trusting in and show us things about him that transform life now and help us to walk with him. And so Luke chapter 3 is no different. As we look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ today, according to Luke, I, I hope the Holy Spirit just opens our eyes to some things about our Savior that are transformative for us. Because here's the thing about Jesus. There, there, is, there is nothing more important that you can do with your time than begin to learn who Jesus is and why that matters for your life. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at who Jesus is according to Luke, who's writing this gospel for us. And if you haven't been with us in our series, we've been going through the gospel of Luke uh, since uh, the end of 2019, and we'll be continuing in it uh, throughout this year and looking at uh, a gospel. And so a gospel, that word means good news, right? And so Luke is trying to tell us something uh, that is good news for us, that matters for us, that changes life for us. And this good news is centered on the person of Christ, And so Luke, uh, turn with me to chapter 3. Luke is going to lay out some things for us about Jesus that we need to see, that we need to hear. And that's the thing about this this kind of a passage, is though we might breeze through it in our Bible reading plan, though we might kind of read a couple verses and then kind of skip to the end because we're, you know, frankly, we don't know how to pronounce the names, and I'm, I'm with you, as you'll see here in just a moment. Uh, on that, but we kind of breeze through them, but God has placed this here because we need it. We need his words, all of them. So read with me. We're going to start in verse 21 and and read a little bit from the end of our message last week about Jesus' baptism, and then we're going to read through the genealogy. Here's what Luke says. We'll read through it, and then we'll look at a few things. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he had began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, 
the son of Heli, the son of Matha, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of El Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Joseph, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosim, the son of Elmadam, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Jorim, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melia, the son of Minna, the son of Mattathah, the son of Nathan, the son of David, who is the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Selah, the son of Nashon, the son of Amenadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, who is the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Some of you are saying, praise God, it's over now. Right? But here's the thing. There, there are reasons that all these names are placed here in quick succession like this. There are reasons that we can't afford to miss. God has placed these words here for us, just like he has some of our favorite passages in Scripture, just like he has Psalm 23, just like he has Genesis 1 and 2, just like he has Ephesians chapter 2. Some of these amazing passages in Scripture we go to time and time again, and then we kind of breeze past some of the parts that are harder for us to understand. So I want us to take some time, and I want us to look at three things today that we need to understand from what Luke is writing here in chapter 3. We're going to look at how Jesus was the son of a king. We're going to look at how Jesus is the son of man. And we're going to finally look at how Jesus is the son of God. So that's where we're going today, Luke chapter 3, and we won't read through the whole thing again, uh, okay, because so, Lord knows I missed most of the names in there in my pronunciation, so I won't do that to you again. But look with me, we, we start out by reading a little bit about Jesus' baptism. So if you remember, we've been looking at John the Baptist's life and ministry, who, who was the forerunner of the Messiah that was prophesied about 400 years before these events that are taking place in Luke ever happened. And so whenever John was preaching, he was, he was preparing people to hear about this one we're now reading about. That was his job. That was his role. That was his God-given mission, was to preach a message of repentance from sin, that people would turn back to God and that they would be prepared for what Jesus was about to do. And now, as Luke begins to tell us about Jesus, he tells us that at the baptism of Christ, Jesus was called the beloved son by his father. 
This voice comes from heaven speaking to Jesus and calls him a son, which makes us know that this was the father speaking to him, and, and he calls him the beloved son. And what we know about this word, this, this phrase, son of God, is that several places in the Old Testament, others were called sons of God. And a little bit later, we'll look at how these different sons of God actually failed in what God had given them to do, and how Jesus, by contrast, as the beloved son was faithful where they were not. But in the Old Testament, we read about how Adam is the son of God. Luke just called him that. We read about how Israel is called the son of God. We read about how King David in Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, is also called the son of God. And then when Jesus shows up on the scene, his father calls him his beloved son with whom he is well pleased. And so what Luke is about to do in the genealogy is he's about to show us how it's possible that this man is the son of God. He's about to show us how that's possible. He's about to lay it out for us. And then what we'll see next week in chapter 4 is how this, this son of God was faithful where the other sons weren't. And so Luke is demonstrating through this genealogy that he, Jesus is actually God's son. It says in verse 23, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, and, and that's not insignificant. Luke puts that there for a reason, and so when we think about things that happened in the Old Testament, priests would have began their service around 30 years of age, so they would have began their kind of mediatorial work between God and, and sinful men at around the age of 30, and we also read about King David man after God's own heart, his, his chosen son, according to Psalm 2, and, and the chosen king of God's people. We read that David began to rule when he was at age 30. And so when Jesus says that, Je when Luke says that Jesus begins his ministry at about the age of 30, it, we ought to think back to these kinds of things and realize that Luke is presenting Jesus for us as a coming king, as one who will mediate between God and men, who is very much like these ones who have come before him, but altogether different than them as well. And so Luke notes that Jesus was about 30 when his ministry began, and then he, he says, being the son, as was supposed of Joseph, and then there's this whole list of people that we don't know most of them, if any of them. Maybe you recognize a couple of names in there from your, your Old Testament, and then you notice that some of them are actually repeated, and so you know the, the, the reasoning there is that uh, names that were significant would be picked up later, just like we name our children after someone else sometimes. They would have done the same kind of thing, where they would have picked up a name and used it again in a different generation. And so maybe we recognize some of the names, but most of them, if we're honest, we don't. We don't have a clue who any of these people are. And so we're like, what in the world? We can't, we can't even look most of them up. We don't, even, we don't even have enough information to really go back and find out who they are and what they did. Well, finally, Luke gets to this part uh, in, in verse 31 where he finally mentions somebody that we know. He says that this, this Jesus was the son of David. So we know David, right? We know the man after God's own heart. We know the man who, who took a slingshot and slayed a giant. We, we know this guy, right? 
So finally, we're seeing something we recognize. But there's something that we might miss if we don't read closely Luke's genealogy and then compare it with Matthew's. So Matthew, in his gospel, he also writes a genealogy. Right? So you say, why do we need two? You know, but, but, and, and if you'll notice, if you read both of them, I won't, I won't read all of Matthew's to you today, but what you'll notice is that they're different. So maybe we begin to think, well, is there a contradiction here? Well, no, they're, they're not giving contradictory information. They're actually giving complementary information. They are telling us things about Jesus' ancestry, about his lineage that complement one another. And, and Luke, by, by calling Jesus the son of David, does something that Matthew does as well, where they're showing that Jesus is from the royal line. He's from this line of kings. He is able to be the Christ that was promised because he comes from David's family. And so David and Matthew, they, they differ. And, there, and there's a few reasons that, that people tend to throw out to kind of reconcile why these genealogies are so different. Because Luke begins to go back and, and he eventually gets to David, but he gets to David through David's son, Nathan. And most of us, we're not real familiar with Nathan, but we're familiar with Solomon. And if we go read Matthew, Matthew traces it through the line of kings, through Solomon to David. And so why is Luke giving us this list of a bunch of nobodies? Why is he giving us this list that's totally different than Matthew's, where where Matthew shows us how Jesus is descended by through this royal line of kings showing that he is the son of King David, why is Luke showing us something different? And how do we reconcile it? If they are different, how do we, we kind of make sense of that? Well, there's a few, a few potential reasons people give. One is that Matthew, what Matthew's doing is he's showing this physical line of descendants. So, so he's showing the actual lineage of Jesus through the line of kings. And then, and then they kind of you know, juxtapose that with, with what Luke is doing and say, you know, okay, so Matthew shows this physical lineage and, and there were all these unrighteous kings in the lineage. And so instead of kind of focusing in on these unrighteous guys who sinned in tremendously evil ways, then, then we're going to focus on a different, a different route. And, and Luke kind of gives the spiritual route where he's, he's given kind of the lineage of, of righteous men from David's line. Possible. Then others say that Matthew and Luke just showed different routes through Joseph's family back to David. So they're just kind of taking different avenues. They, they kind of part ways at a different ancestor, and they, and they go different routes back to David. That's possible. I think what's more likely is that Matthew is describing Joseph's line, and Luke is describing Mary's. You say, Pastor, it didn't say anything about Mary in there. Well, well, here's the thing. If you go back and read Matthew, you'll see that Matthew is giving his genealogy of Christ in the context of chapters that are, are very focused on Joseph. And then when we read Luke, we've just read a, a ton of things about Mary in Luke 1 and 2. And then when, when the genealogy is presented, it's presented right after that. And we also, we also see this phrase that Jesus 
being the supposed son of Joseph. So it's implied there that Jesus isn't actually Joseph's physical son, right? He was an adopted son. And so scholars think that that possibly what's happening here is that Luke is giving us Mary's side of the equation. And, And the reason Joseph would still be mentioned in this, the possible reason, is that Let's say that Heli was, was Mary's father, okay? And so just follow with me here. If Mary's father didn't have any sons, then who would be her son? Her husband, Joseph. And so the thought is, is that it's possible that Luke is still mentioning Joseph even though he's giving Mary's side of the family Because if Mary's father didn't have a son, then Joseph would be the son through which the line continued. And so it's still possible that Luke is is giving this according to kind of Mary's side of things. It's it's almost like if, if, if your dad was a part of the royal family and your mom wasn't, and and you decided that you were going to briefly mention that you were a part of the royal family, but then the way you kind of traced things back was through all your mom's ancestors that nobody knows. So it's almost like Harry, you know, Harry and Meghan's kid, that he, he begins to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm part of the royal line, but then he focuses on, on Meghan Markle's side of the family. Okay? And, and it doesn't really make sense to us and jive with us, right? But there's, there's some really intentional things that that Luke is doing here. It, it seems like Luke is focused on the wrong people. He's focused on the wrong relatives because what people would have cared about was that Jesus was of the kingly royal line. But Luke's, Luke includes all these no-name nobodies that, that we don't know who they were. And do you remember who David was? You remember how David started out? So, so we think about David, and we think about him killing a giant. We think about David uh, being the man after God's own heart. We think about David as this great king of Israel. But David's beginnings were very, very humble. Do you remember when, when the prophet comes to David's, David's dad, and he says, hey, can you gather up all your sons, because one of them is going to be the next king? You know who's not there? David. David's out in the field. His own dad forgets about him. And he's, he's like, oh, wait, yeah, there's one more. But you don't want him. He's just kind of a shepherd boy. He's out in the field with the animals. And then David comes in, and David ends up being the next king. But see, David was so insignificant that nobody even thought about him. His own family, his own dad and brothers, when, when the prophet of God comes and starts talking to the family about the, this amazing thing that's going to happen with one of them, he's forgotten. He's out in the field, and they don't even remember. It takes a while for them to remember he's out there. And so David had very humble, very human roots. And Luke shows us that Jesus did too. Jesus was born in Bethlehem and and laid in a feeding trough in a one-to-two-room house made for peasants rather than in a palace for princes. Luke is emphasizing that this son of the king is also a son of man. He's, 
He, he's the son of humanity. He, he's like you and I. Like David, Jesus had very humble beginnings, even though he would be a ruling king. You see, the, the son of the king came and, and lived as a peasant so that you and I, normal people like us, could in him be made into royalty. You see, Jesus came so that you and I, he would make us sons of the king. You see, so Jesus is a son of the king. He's a son of David. But, but Luke shows us this humble beginning because he's emphasizing something very specific, that even though he's the Messiah, the Christ, he, he humbles himself. He takes on flesh, and, and he's born and laid in a, in a feeding trough. And then this, very much like David's humble beginnings, this is going to be the king of Israel, and not just the king of Israel, but he's going to be humanity's king. And so you might think that you're unimportant. You might think that nobody knows your name. You might think that you live kind of a, a boring, monotonous life. And it probably isn't what you dreamed of. It probably isn't what, what you thought about as a kid and, and kind of dreamed your life would be like. You know, as a kid, we, we watch movies about our favorite superheroes and, and characters on TV, and then we kind of we act out as, as though we were them, as we're playing with friends. We, we act like them because there, there's something in us that wants to be important. There's something in us that wants to be noticed. There's something in us that wants to matter. And then life, it, it kind of has this way of, of kicking that hope in the face, of, of devastating it, where, where we begin to live life and, and grow up, and it just kind of gets monotonous and repetitive, and, and maybe even it's, it's not just monotonous or repetitive, maybe it's really hard. And we begin to look at life and, and how it's going, we begin to think, I'm just not that important. Maybe sometimes we even wonder if, if, if we were gone, if people would miss us. You see, but we, we've missed something. You see, no one knew the name of these people either. We, we don't know their name. We don't know them. We don't know who they are. We know who David is. We know who Jesus is. But all the, all the guys in between that Luke, Luke lists for us, we, we have no idea who most of them are. They were a bunch of no-name nobodies like us. They were normal, everyday people who probably lived monotonous, repetitive lives and even really difficult lives. And they probably looked at life and they probably thought, man, am I, am I really even important? Like, do I matter? You see, when, we th when, we, when all we can see is what's in front of us, we miss where we land in the story of God. You see, because something about the genealogies in the scripture, it, it doesn't just show us someone else's story. If we're those who trust in Christ, it shows us ours as well. It shows us that, that we matter. We're a part of God's grand redemptive plans for his creation. We may be no-name nobodies, but so were a lot of these people. 
And, and the Messiah came through their line. Jesus himself comes through their line. And so you may look at life and, and not really know what God's doing right now. But that doesn't mean that there's not a plan and it doesn't mean that he doesn't see you and that you're not incredibly valuable in his sight. You see, this son of the king, Jesus, he came so that we too could be sons of the king. So that we could be sons of the king by trusting in him, the king of kings. So it's really significant that there's a bunch of no-name nobodies in Luke's genealogy in the line of Jesus because that's what we are. And we've been grafted in by faith. We've been made a part of this family. We belong to God. You see, some of us, we, we struggle, though, about thinking that we're even worthy of this, that, that we could be worthy of being a son or a daughter of the king. We think, man, man Pastor, you just, you just don't know what, what's in my life right now. You just don't know what I've been dealing with. You don't know what I've done. Here's the other thing that we fail to recognize about us. Is that our being grafted into this story, into this family of God, has nothing to do with anything we've done. It has nothing to do with anything we've accomplished. It has nothing to do with how good we are. In fact, we've been made apart through faith despite what we've done, despite who we are. We're, you know, many of us, we're, we're much more like the, not, we're not just no-name nobodies, we're, we're rebellious against God. We've, we've done things that we regret, just like maybe the kings in, in Matthew's genealogy. You see, but God has had this grand redemptive plan. And a part of it is to take sinners like you and me and, and, and people that, that history is not going to remember and make them sons and daughters of the king. You see, it's not just that Jesus is the son of the king and that he is the king of kings. It's that in him, we who are sinners have been reconciled to God and made a part of this family tree. Martin Luther said this, Christ is the kind of person who is not ashamed of sinners. In fact, he even puts them in his family tree. That's the hope of seeing a bunch of people that we don't know who they were or what they did and that Jesus came from a line like this. Next we see that just as Jesus was the son of the king, he is the son of man, the the hope of humanity. So Luke, he takes, he takes this genealogy of Christ all the way back to Adam, whereas Matthew, if you go and read Matthew, what he does is he starts with Abraham and then he works forward to Jesus. So, so Luke's genealogy is much more, much more comprehensive in terms of history. He, he goes all the way back to the beginning of humanity with Adam. It says in verse 38, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. You see, but both Matthew and Luke are very intentional about what they're including in these genealogies because they're making specific points. Matthew begins with Abraham and rehearses this royal line of Jewish kings that descend from David through Solomon that Jesus descends from because he wants to show that Jesus is the hope of Israel. He's the hope 
that God's people had been longing for. So he begins with Abraham, and we remember Abraham was the beginning of the, the Jewish people. He, was, he, he, he had these wonderful promises from God. See, but one of those promises was that Abraham's line would be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And that's what Luke draws out for us, is how this hope of Israel is actually the hope of the world, the hope of humanity as a whole. He, he draws Jesus' lineage all the way back to Adam, all the way back to the first man, the beginning of humanity, because he wants to, us to see that this Christ is not just the hope of Israel, he's the hope of the world, the hope of humanity. He's not just the son of a Jewish king, he is the son of man. In Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles are reconciled to God and to one another. We're made one. God is reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ. Not just the Jewish people. Jesus is exactly how God blesses all the families of the earth through Abraham's line. This was a, this was a grand redemptive plan for the world, not just the, the, not just the Jewish people. You see, and because Jesus is the hope of the world, the hope for all humanity, we must take this message about him to all of humanity. That's the commission he gives us at the end of Matthew's gospel. We hear that we're to make disciples of all nations because it's through this Christ that God's blessing comes to all the peoples of the earth. We also have to recognize that if Jesus isn't just the hope of the Jewish people, but the hope of humanity, then in Jesus Christ, all the walls of hostility and division have been broken down in him. We're to be united as human beings in this common hope in Jesus, who's the son of man, the son of humanity. He is one like us that he might reconcile us to God. That means that all the things that divide us, politics, ethnicity, economic or financial status, careers, different vocations, different seasons of life, age, all the things that are different and distinct about us in Jesus Christ, we are human. We're not Republican or Democrat. We're not rich or poor. We're not old or young. We're not man or woman. We're not black or white. You see, this son of man, he is the hope of humanity as a whole, and in him, we've been made into one people as we trust in him together. And so this message has to go to all of humanity because he's the hope of humanity and it also has to shape how we relate with one another. It has to change things and bring unity if we truly understand it. I've been on a, on a West Wing kick. So how many people know the West Wing? Okay. All right, so you know, most of you who are over the age of 20, okay. Um, and, and <laughs> which is most of us, right? But the, I, I love this show. I, I, I used to watch it as a kid with my mom, and, and I didn't remember how good it was. 
I started watching it on Netflix recently, and and, and even when like I, I disagree with President Bartlett, President Bartlett is just this in, in, incredible man, and I, and I love his character. And and there's this there's this one line that he said in an episode where he said that the things that unite us are far greater than the things that divide us. And and that quote is something that real live presidents of our nation have said for a long time. Many of them have said something like that. But see, that's not just true for us as Americans when it comes to politics. You see, as, as Christians, the thing that unites us is greater than anything that could divide us. You see, the Son of Man, the hope of humanity, the one who has descended from Adam himself. He is our hope. He is God's plan to unite the peoples of the earth that they might experience the blessing of God. And so this Jesus, he's the son of King David. He is the son of man, the hope of humanity. And he is also, as Luke says, the son of God. It says in verse 38, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and Luke ends it with saying the son of God. So he points out that, that Adam was the son of God because Adam had no earthly father. He only had a, a heavenly father. But the implication is that this Jesus who is descended from him, this one who we just read was called by the father his beloved son, he is actually son of God. But when we read about, as I said earlier, when we read about the other sons of God in Scripture, what we see is just massive failure and rebellion and, and falling short. We think about Adam. Adam's called the son of God here. And so we think about Adam as the representative of humanity and, and, and how Adam, it, it, it's Three, it's the third chapter of Scripture where humanity rebels against God. We get a couple pages in, and then already we're, we're dropping the ball. You see, the, the reason for that is that Adam, Adam and Eve made this, this choice to sin against God, to rebel and go their own way, and then all of us afterwards, as we read in, in the book of Romans and elsewhere, we have this, this bent towards sin, and so then we choose to follow in that way. And, and like Adam, we as humanity, we, we fail. We rebel against God. We separate ourselves from him by sin. You see, you don't have to teach kids to steal, lie, cheat, or be violent. You know, that you're riding down the car and in the back seat you've got your kiddos and all of a sudden one takes a toy from the other and then there's a fight and then there's things thrown and there's yelling and screaming. And we don't have to teach kids to act that way because we're kind of, we're born with this bent. We're from the lineage of Adam and we're like him in this. We too rebel against God. We too fall short of God's glory. And then we think about Israel. Israel was called God's son as well. This was, this was God's chosen people, blessed in extravagant ways by God. He provided everything they needed. He, he told them the way to go. He, he, he parted seas for them. And he provided for them. 
And yet, again and again, the story of the Old Testament is that as people rebel against him, they continue to sin, they continue to fall short. And so we're tempted to think sometimes that special treatment or affection from God might change our desire to rebel against him. So we think if God just clearly showed himself to me, if God just just blessed me with the things that I need, if he just blessed me extravagantly and clearly revealed himself to me, if he would just go ahead and speak audibly to me and tell me what to do, then maybe I would do it. But see, scripture shows us that we're liars in that. Because even when humanity has, has had God clearly reveal himself, even when God has blessed us extravagantly, what scripture shows us is that we continue to rebel against him. We continue to walk away from him. We continue to fall short. And so there's this failure of God's son Adam, of humanity in scripture. There's this failure of God's son Israel, his chosen people. And then there's this failure of God's son David, his chosen king. Even David called God's son in Psalm 2, and then a man after God's own heart elsewhere rebels against him and destroys the lives of several people in the process. You see, even when God gives us success and power in life, we use it to do our own will rather than his. And so, see, the problem in Scripture is that God's sons continue to fail him. They continue to rebel against him. And what we need is the son of God who never would. We need the success of God's son, Jesus, his beloved son, as we read in Luke. Because God's, God's sons, they continue to rebel against him. They continue to choose their own way. And in fact, we read that humanity, apart from Christ doing something in us cannot obey God as his son. We cannot be sons of God like we were called to be unless we're rescued. We needed God to send a son who could obey and who wouldn't fail, who would stand in our place and do what we could not and live the life that we should have lived but couldn't accomplish on our own. We need this one who is both the son of man and the son of God. We need this one who, as a human being, can stand in our place and represent us. And we need this one who is also divine, who is the Son of God, who has come with a power we do not have. We need this perfect mediator, this Son of Man and Son of God, who can stand as the mediator we need between God and men that he might reconcile us. You see, so in genealogies, we see some important things about who Jesus is. He, as the king of kings, is also the son of the king. He is the Messiah that has come. He is the son of man. He is the hope of all humanity. And he is the son of God, whom the Father is pleased with and who has accomplished salvation for us. He's the only one who could do it. He's our only hope. And so we have to trust in him. We have to know who he is in order to understand why it's so important 
that we trust in him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are in desperate need of your son. We are in need of what only he can do and what only he can provide. And God, I'm, I'm asking right now that you would help us as we sing your praises and as we leave this place and as we, as we open up your word this week, would you show us who your son is? Would you help us to understand more deeply that we might walk more closely with you? So God, continue to speak to us, continue to help us as we seek to trust in your beloved son, in whose name we pray.